0: Hey, Sarah here, before we get started with this new episode, I wanted to make sure you knew about our brand new free tool that we just released, it is super wonderful. It's a quiz, everybody likes to take a quiz, right? you're going to answer three quick questions about how old your kids are, what kind of book you're looking for, and whether you are short on time or you'd like a longer read aloud. And when you answer those three quick questions on the quiz, it automatically generates a read aloud recommendation for you. 100% of the books that will be recommended are my favorites, and I've written a little blurb about each one. And so you'll get a personal recommendation, basically, for your family. It takes about one and a half minutes to take the quiz, and you'll know exactly what your family should read aloud next. To take it, go to readaloudrevival.com slash quiz, or you can just text the word quiz to the number 33777. Listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here. Happy to have you with us for episode 147 of the podcast. I am here today with the Read Aloud Revival team. That includes our community director, Courtney Garrison, and our podcast manager, Kara Anderson. And we are here today to talk about math. Now don't shut off the podcast. (laughs) I know you want to. On the Read Aloud Revival, we're going to talk about math. Yes, we are. We're going to do it in the best way we know how. We're going to talk about stories to share with our kids that are mathematically related. Stories that deepen our kids' appreciation for math or maybe even deepen our own. And some of us could use some of that. Isn't that right? Uh, but also books that help them understand tricky mathematical concepts and teach math in a really delightful way way. We have a whole brand new book list, hot off the presses. If you are on the email list, you already got it. If you're not on the email list, you can go grab it. The book list is at readaloudrevival.com slash 147. You can see the whole online list there. You can click through, or you can print off a printable version if you want to check them off as you read them with your kids or take it into the library with you. That again is all at readaloudrevival.com slash 147. One, four, seven. Now, Courtney, Kara, and I, we all homeschool our kids. So, in today's episode, we talk a lot about integrating these math related read alouds into our homeschools. But if you don't homeschool, this episode is just as relevant for you. You can interweave these wonderful read aloud stories into your bedtime reading or before school day reading or your weekend reading or whenever you do your reading aloud at your house. They're short commitments because most of them are picture books and they're just a way to help your child fall more in love with math. So if you're not a homeschooler, don't let the fact that we keep bringing up our homeschool schedules <laughs> or homeschool math curriculum, don't let that get in your way. This is applicable to anybody who loves kids, who need to learn math. Speaking of homeschooling, I wanna make sure that you know I will be at all seven great homeschool conventions all over the US this year in 2020. It all starts in March with the convention that's happening in Fort Worth, Texas. There's also a March convention in Greenville, South Carolina, and one in St. Charles, Missouri. Then in April, I'll be in Cincinnati, Ohio. In June, I'll be in Ontario, California and Jacksonville, Florida. And then at the end of July, beginning of August, I'll be in Rochester, New York. Great Homeschool Conventions are a fantastic way for you to get equipped and inspired to teach your kids at home and have another great homeschooling year. It's my favorite conference to speak at. I'm at all seven. You can find out more and buy your tickets at greathomeschoolconventions.com. Okay, now before I get into my conversation with Courtney and Kara about math, I want to answer a listener question. This one comes from Christy.
1: Hi, Sarah. This is Christy from Massachusetts. When I'm reading a story with my kids, um, we'll often encounter something that we're unfamiliar with, whether it's a geographical location or cultural reference time period reference, and I'm not always sure how to deal with it. It seems a little daunting to research beforehand and anticipate all that we might encounter. So should I just do a Google search in the middle of our reading, or do I just let it go and continue on and maybe address it later? For instance, right now we're reading Cheaper by the Dozen, and my kids couldn't understand why the girls in the story would be embarrassed by their dusters. So should I stop in the middle, grab my computer, show everyone what this article of clothing would have looked like, or do I just let it go and assume that they'll assume that it's just something that would have been embarrassing in the time period? So how far do I take it in my research? What's appropriate?
0: Hey, good question, Christy. And I think a lot of us are in the same boat in that we don't have time to pre-read, so we don't really know the geological or cultural references that are going to come up in that day's chapter. So there's a couple of things. Ideally, we wouldn't interrupt the flow of our read aloud to pull ourselves out of the magic. But honestly, a lot of things are less than ideal when we're reading aloud at home with our kids. So we can say, ideally, it would be best not to interrupt your read aloud But practically speaking, I do it all the time. I do it every time the toddler needs to go potty and I have to stop or the phone rings or, you know, the UPS truck needs me to sign for something that I have to interrupt my read aloud. So in the same way, if something comes up in this story and we don't know what it is, or my kids might not know what it is, or sometimes I don't know what it is, I will stop and give them a very quick description of, do you know where this country is? It's and kind of give them an example, maybe point to it on a map if I have one handy. If you don't know, I don't see any problem with grabbing your phone and doing a really quick Google search and finding it out together. That could actually be a really good practice uh, for helping your kids see that readers stop and do a little bit of digging sometimes when they're, you know, unsure about something. Not every time, but sometimes. Uh, you know, a lot of times we say kids skip over words they don't know when they're reading. But we do that all the time as adults, too, right? Um, and so it, it's a good modeling for them to see us digging in to find out what that means. So I think there's not a really a right or wrong answer here. I don't know if there's an appropriate or inappropriate way to do this. Um, ideally speaking, if you flip through the chapter ahead of time, just like, grazing your eyes over the words to see if there's something that's going to come up they might need to know about. That would work if you really don't want to interrupt your read-aloud time. But for the most part, I think it's okay for our read-aloud times not to be perfectly ideal, and it's okay to interrupt them and explain things to help kids really understand what's happening, especially in your case, the example that you gave. uh, You know, something will be lost from that scene if they don't understand why it's so funny. And so taking just a second to explain what you know, painting the picture for them in their mind, which they would probably be able to see if there were pictures to go along with it, right? So we're just taking a moment to illustrate for them, which I don't really think pulls them out of the story so much as just deepens their appreciation for what's happening because they don't feel lost. (laughs) So I hope that helps a little bit. Again, there's no right or wrong way to do this. You can do it in whatever way feels comfortable to you. Uh, You know, jotting down a word to look up afterwards or, stopping midstream to Google it on your phone or give a quick explanation. I think there's not a right or wrong answer. You shouldn't feel guilty though about needing to pull your kids out of the story for just a minute to explain something and then dive back in. They'll willingly come back in with you, I bet. (laughs) Kind of the way of stories, right? As soon as we start reading, everybody gets sucked back in. Kara, you were the driving force behind this whole list and this episode of the podcast. So, do you want to talk about why this subject came up? Well, of course, because I love math so much. No,
2: yes, of course. <laughs> <not> what happened? <laughs> <laughs> what happened was I started noticing questions in the forum, the premium member forum, and I know parents have asked in other ways too about um, teaching math through picture books, and so. I started thinking back to when my kiddos were little and how we did use some. We were never super organized about it, but we, we did use some. And there were some books that stuck out to me that we actually have some really warm memories around. So we started putting together a list. Um, I think for a lot of us, we have such happy feelings around, you know, and we're so passionate about, about picture books. And we just want to figure out a way to apply that to math and maybe take some of the not so great feelings. Out of math,
0: yeah, I think for, it's a really common experience for those of us who love reading with our kids or who were loved books as children, right? To remember books fondly, but I don't think a lot of us have that same kind of warm fuzzy feeling when it comes to math. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the why of seeking out math-ish picture books and reading them with your kids, and then of course we're going to give recommendations because. What's a Read Aloud Revival podcast episode without book recommendations, right? So let's start with the why. What comes to mind for you? I think
3: for me, the first thing that comes to mind is that picture books can help make math feel more real for our kids. It moves those abstract ideas into the concrete. It uses the words and the pictures to do that. And things like shapes and patterns and numbers, a lot of that can be learned, can be approached even without a curriculum at the beginning.
2: Yeah, I can remember my son asking when he was younger and we were starting out with some math stuff why he needed to know certain math concepts. (laughs) And I noticed that was only happening with math. Like he was just (laughs) inherently... (laughs) <laughs> he was inherently, you know, fascinated by history, he loved stories, he loved science because kids want to know how things work, right. you know, he loved nature and art and music, but why did he have to know what 407, you know, like 475 watermelons minus 231 watermelons equaled? Like when would he ever encounter that kind of thing in real life? <laughs> They should just eat less
0: watermelon so he didn't have to do the math. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of watermelon, though. <laughs> it's true. I actually sort of struggle with this myself a little bit, especially with my high schoolers when they're, they're asking, like, my, one of my daughters is doing trig right now, and she'll be like, when am I going to need this? And I just have to, like, bite my tongue to keep from saying, Never again. <laughs> <laughs> When we're reading at home with our kids, I think it's easier for us to make math a little bit cozy and warm when we do it through picture books. Um, I think that's pretty different than most of our classroom math experience, or at least my own classroom math experience was. Math curriculum alone, I think, can take a lot of the life out of math, which makes it feel maybe more arduous or repetitive or a slog than it needs to. So we wouldn't, in our house, at least replace the curriculum with stories, but using stories to maybe add depth and meaning and enjoyment and that sort of warm, cozy feeling so that math can be have a touch of that same sort of magic that the rest of our school day might have.
2: Yeah, I was looking up some stuff getting ready for this episode and do you know math anxiety actually has its own wikipedia entry
0: are you serious
2: that's i mean that so many of us deal with it and i actually i have coined a term well i don't know if I, i've coined it in my own mind i'm sure other people have used it but i have a fear of public math you know like
3: making change <laughs> to
2: people in public yes. um and you know it, it's so a lot of us deal with, you know, some sort of stress related to math, and I think a lot of us also then deal with stress of not wanting to pass that
3: stress on to our kids. Right. So, I mean, imagine instead your child start in math being on your lap or next to you on the couch as you share a story together Or if it's too late for that, imagine being able to take a step back with your older child and really fall in love with shapes and patterns and numbers and to do that together through stories.
0: Awesome. Okay, so those are two great reasons to introduce math concepts through picture books or to deepen math concepts through picture books. Number one, because they help our kids see math as real and useful for their actual life. And number two, because it's just a cozier way to do math. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that even gives our kids a better chance to fall in love with it. Um, Before we start talking about some of our favorites, can we talk about the how? Let's get just real practical for a minute. I think a lot of us have too much on our plates already when it comes to our homeschool day. So some of our listeners may be listening and going, like the idea, no idea when I'm going to be able to fit that in. So what's the best way forward here?
3: Well, I think if you homeschool, then math picture books can certainly be a part of your morning time basket. It's an easy way to make sure that math is getting covered every day, and you can do math together as a family. Oftentimes, um, different age levels are working at different places in math, and so that's something that happens separately. But if you're reading together, you can all read the same book. Um, There's a book called Crash Boom by Robbie Harris, and it's a it's a, a preschool picture book, It's about it's using blocks to talk about patterns, but it's the kind of book I bet if you brought out the block basket and read that aloud, it wouldn't just be the preschoolers who were playing with the blocks. And then that would be a great (laughs) way to, you know, spend the rest of your morning with read-alouds. Yes,
2: we did math as part of our morning basket for years. We loved the bedtime math series of books, which just have one problem a day and but at different levels. So if you're homeschooling different ages of kids, it's just the perfect resource to have one math problem a day. They're fun. They're funny. The illustrations are, are fun and silly. So it, it, that's, that was a big thing for us. And then the other thing that we did was we used um, the math book, uh, Mathematicians Are People Too, Yes, um, as part of our morning basket. And I think math biographies, we've got a bunch of those. In our list um, with this episode. I think that's another great way to make math feel more real because you're learning about people, you're learning about their stories. Um, what immediately comes to mind for me is the book Hidden Figures, the picture book Hidden Figures. And what I love about that book so much is that it shows people who persevered at math and, you know, despite a lot of odds against them. And then ultimately, they ended up working for NASA. I mean, how cool (laughs) is that, you know? So I think it shows kids that there's value in math. If, you know, like we talked about, you have one of those kids, it's like, why do I need this? When am I ever going to use this? Well, when you work at NASA, okay? (laughs) Um (laughs) <laughs> and then, um, you know, it gives them role models because if we don't have jobs, you know, um, in our families where somebody's really math heavy, it gives them role models and yeah. people who view math in a positive way. And I think that is just huge.
0: I think that's a really good point. We had a math tutor for a few years and he got so excited about math. And I think my kids were just like, they would just stare at him in awe because they'd never seen somebody get excited about math. You know when you were talking about um, mathematicians are people to care at. I used that book. I remember with my oldest daughter who was really into history and historical fiction, anything historical at all. You know whether it was a biography or it was um, a historical fiction novel or something. That book really captured her ama- imagination because she needs a person, she needs a character to fall in love with, and that book puts the character at the front of the story, and then they and then the math kind of hangs on that. It does it's yeah? That one's
3: a really good read aloud.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what you said, Courtney, about putting in your morning time basket. And for any of our listeners who are saying, wait, what is a morning time basket? Back up to that. Um, you can go find out more about a morning time basket at pambarnhill.com because Pam Barnhill talks a lot about morning time. It's basically just when your whole family gets together in the morning, in the afternoon, anytime it works for you. She just calls it morning basket, just like bedtime math can be used at any time, right? Um, but it's basically when your whole family is just reading and listening or doing some learning together. So read-alouds fit really well here, of course, because if you're reading aloud to your kids all at the same time. Um, But a picture book is, we've talked about this before on the show with reading picture books with older kids. They're a very small commitment. It's not like you're starting a novel. You're just reading this book that's going to take five minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes. And so it's an easy way to sneak in a story and math at the same time. Um, and a couple of the books we're going to talk about today, they're really good stories without the math or with them. You know, like it's not ju- you're not just reading it for the math. It's a good story on its own. And I think that for kids who are used to listening to really good stories, that just, that's an invitation for them. So, Well, actually, I think we've been kind of patient long enough. So let's talk about some of those favorites. Now, just as a reminder, the full list of uh, these books we're recommending are at readaloudrevival.com and you'll see an online clickable list there as well as a printable list so if you wanted to print it out and bring it with you to the library and um, or a bookshop or just be able to, there's little check boxes next to those so if you want to check them off as you go through the year and you read some of them that's kind of fun so out of all those books on that list, it's a pretty good, formidable list there. Maybe we should each talk about uh, one or two that we especially love. Does one of you want to start with that? Sure,
3: I can. Um, I want to tell you about a delightful book called Snowman Minus Cold Equals Puddle, Spring Equations by Laura Purdy-Salas. I a book- love
0: Laura Purdy-Salas. I know,
3: I know. <laughs> and you might know her work like her books, um, Water Can Be or A Leaf Can Be. If you know those books, you know that Laura uses musical language, beautiful poems that combine science and poetry, and that help us to see the world in new and inventive ways. So each page in this book features an equation. Here are two of my favorites. Okay, this first one is about frog songs in spring. Frogs plus night equals symphony. Oh, and then here's this one. Sky minus day, equals stories. That's about nighttime constellations. So you can see that she's using very familiar words, very familiar concepts, but combining them in really interesting ways. Um, And then after the equation, there are a few sentences that tell a little bit more about each concept. This idea of building poems from equations Taking what we do know to figure out what we, the unknown, yeah it's just captivating to me. And once you read this with your kids, they're going to start making their own equation poems, I bet. In fact, I'm going to use this book this spring with my middle school co-op.
0: Oh, fun. Okay, so you're going to use it with older kids. Yeah. Yeah, because um, it's... It would be applicable for
3: younger kids too, but I think the middle schoolers are going to love, I mean, they're doing equations in their math, in their math books, so they might as well sort of expand their idea of what an equation can be.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and it helps you not just feel like, I remember as a kid learning, an equation is a number sentence. Well, sentence had me for a second, and there's the number part. That <laughs> right. it, me. <laughs> so, if it wasn't for those dang numbers. I'd be fine with math. Uh, you know, when I was just thinking about how fun you could have with this. I mean, I was just sitting here thinking, Sarah, minus chocolate, equals sad. Like, you can have a lot of fun with this with your kids throughout exactly. the day. Exactly, like, yeah. You, plus taking the garbage out, equals happy mama. <laughs> <laughs> equals chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I told my kids about this
3: book as we were walking to the library to pick it up on, from on the hold shelf. And I I told them the title of it, Snowman, minus cold equals puddle and that just I mean immediately even without reading even without knowing any more than just that first equation that we started riffing on each other's just like we just did you know changing them up and
0: yeah you know, oh fun. fun that's yeah that's great I want to tell you about um one that I hadn't heard before but Kara put it on her list so I went to the library and got it and it's called Lemonade in Winter oh it's so good <laughs> yes and this is the one that I was thinking um This is a great – this needs to probably go on our January book list, actually, because it's just a great wintry book. Um, And I think that's a double win, basically. Like, if this book can stand alone on its own, you know, without even – it just doesn't even matter that it has math in here. But there's so much money counting in here for these kids who decide they're going to have a lemonade stand in the winter. And, of course – their parents are like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> lemonade is cold. And no, and the, you see these hilarious pictures of them out in the snow blizzard with their big old mufflers, like around their heads selling their lemonade. But of course, who can, like? could you walk by a child selling lemonade in a snowstorm and not buy a cup? <laughs> and neither could their neighbors. So, and it's got like a refrain, lemon, lemon, lime, lemon, limeade. Lemon, lemon, lime, lemon, lemonade. All that it will cost you, 50 cents a cup. All that it will cost you, 50 cents a cup. And this happens a few different times in this story so that my kids were chanting it around the house as they were uh, after, we had li- after we had read it. So Lemonade in Winter, this one is a book about two kids counting money and it's by Emily Jenkins and illustrated by G. Brian Karras. And he is... Um, If that name sounds familiar, it's because he also illustrated Candace Fleming's Muncha, Muncha, Muncha books. And so his illustrations always have a little humorous touch. They're funny. Like I said, I was kind of giggling when I was looking at them because the kids are so cute when they're standing out. (laughs) There's a little bit of a Charlie Brown look to them. Um, We read that book when my
3: oldest two were little, but I don't know that we've had it recently from the library, so I'm going to have to put it on hold because our youngest is a little bit obsessed with money, so this might be a fun way to talk about that.
2: I have got to share about my favorite math picture book ever. It brings me so much joy. Literally, when things get hard, like in our family or we're encountering a tough situation, we all still quote this book. And I think we read it when my oldest was like three. And still, people will say, desperate times call for desperate measures. Ted, get the hammer and the saw. (laughs)
0: I mean, that's a great thing to quote, but what is this from? I don't think I know this book. So this book
2: is 365 penguins. And it's basically this family starts receiving penguins out of the blue. Every day, a new penguin gets delivered to their door. They have no idea what's going on. But of course, chaos ensues. And there's tons of natural math, despite it being a little bit of like an unreal situation. But it... The illustrations, it's all in black and white and orange, so the illustrations are very captivating, and you just can't help but like do the math. I mean, it it just overtakes you, and I I love it. I love it so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I read, this is another one, Kara, that you turned me on to. It's called The Lion's Share, A Tale of Having, having, like cutting in half, H-A-L-V-I-N-G, Having Cake and Eating It Too by Matthew McAllickett. And I read this as a bedtime story the other night. And after we read, (laughs) my Clara, who's seven, goes, okay, that was amazing. (laughs) Which was a funny response because I thought it was good and they were very interested. And like, you know how when you, sometimes when you read a book and the kids kind of like get up and wander off and you think, yep, that one didn't capture them. But this one, they all were in it, you know? But she especially loved it. So basically what we have is, well, I'll start. Every year at the start of the spring, the lion invited a small group of animals to join him for a special dinner. The ant had never dined with the king before. She was very nervous and wanted to make a good impression. When the day came, she arrived exactly on time, not a minute too soon or too late. Then all the other guests arrive. It's like a beetle, a frog, a macaw, a warthog, these, all these other animals. And we start by a large cake being brought in for dessert and the elephant starts by looking at it and saying i could eat this whole thing in one bite but that would seem too greedy so the elephant cuts the cake in half and eats half of it and passes the other half on to everybody else and then the hippo sees it next and and so she takes half of that and so then we it's fractions basically and so we get all the way down but then it, Halfway through the book, it changes to multiplication because they all have to repay the king by um, making cakes. And each one decides they're going to make double how much the one did before. And so you learn really quickly that doubling something one to two doesn't seem like that big of a jump. But you know, doubling something from 120 to 240, well, that's a lot of cakes. (laughs) So anyway, it's very fun. It definitely captivated my kids. And Clara says... That was amazing. If that's not an endorsement, I don't know what it is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that one sounds really good. I haven't heard of that one. And I've got somebody who's doing fractions at my house, so I think it might be a really fun addition. And these books
2: can be just that, a fun addition. If you've already got a math curriculum you absolutely love, it doesn't have to replace it by any means, but it's a way to bring some fun and some coziness and um, togetherness to math. And math is a subject that sometimes we can butt heads over a little bit, you know, and so if there's a way that we can make it, like if, I mean, I can't imagine my kids, you know, being able to look back and be like, oh, yeah, I remember counting with 365 penguins or I remember, I just, I hope it's a different experience, you know, than than the one that a lot of us remember. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. At our house, I've noticed that we can share the stories together, but then the pile of math books gets returned to again and again. And a Mm. kid is off in a corner by themselves, kind of working through, seeing how that multiplication actually does work with the bigger numbers or things like that. And so they're like quietly working on things that we've approached first in the stories.
0: Well, that's just a sampling because the whole list is online at readaloudrevival.com. If you're on the email list, you already got that list emailed to you. And if you're not on the email list, well, you should fix that. (laughs) Go to readaloudrevival.com, grab the printable version of this book list to get on it. And then you'll always get our book list when they're hot off the presses. So, Courtney, Kara, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is always fun to chat. (music) Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. I love this part of the podcast because kids share the books that they've been loving lately.
1: My name is Casper. I'm from Ireland. I'm 10 years old. You're three years old. I'm three years old. And what's your favorite book? Uh, Hi. Hi,
0: By Gemma
1: Cumming. And why is it your favorite story? Because it has nice pictures. Hi. Hi, my name is Wyatt, and I'm five years old. And my favorite book is. You know, I was born in Hawaii. My favorite book is Ninjago. Hi. My name is Jack. I'm. I'm. Eight years old, I'm from Texas, and my favorite book is the Magic Treehouse series. Hello, my name is Noah. I'm ten years old, and I live in Berries Bay, Ontario. My favorite series is is Redwall. I like it because I find it exciting. My name is Kinsler Scout. I live in Karam, Texas. I'm six years old, and my favorite book is... Frog and Toad books. Why? Because they are full of amazing adventures. What's your name? My name is Delilah Scalf and I'm four years old and I live in Crown, Texas and my favorite book is The Hungry Caterpillar. Why do you like The Very Hungry Caterpillar? Because he turned into a butterfly. What's your name? Ellison, how old are you? Two and a half. What's your favorite book? Um, the Hel- Hungry Caterpillar. Why do you like The Very Hungry Caterpillar? Because it's a na, na, butterfly.
3: What's your name? Bird. Okay, Bird, how old are you?
1: Five. Okay, and where do you live? In Oklahoma. And what's your favorite book? The Hunter Way Go. And why is that your favorite book? It's because they hug the bug and it hop away. That's awesome. Hi, so what is your name? Swaley. Swaley. And how old are you, Swaley? Five. Um, three. 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 All right. And where do you live, Swaley? At Oklahoma. Yeah. And what's your favorite book? Uh, Fancy Nancy.
3: Why is Fancy Nancy your favorite book? Because I love
1: her. I'm Rishi. I'm really old. Three years old. I love California. You live in California? My favorite book (laughs) is Book with No Pushers. A baby, My book. I like it because. My mommy's head in front of kids. It does make me say Read funny it. Thing. Hi, my name is Emma and I'm ten years old. I live in California. My favorite book series is
0: The Magic Tree House. My favorite part about it is when Jack and Annie go on all the wild adventures. I love that we could hear so many babies in the background in today's messages. Love all that beautiful family life. Thanks so much for calling in with your messages, kids. Hey, if you are not getting emails from us at Read Aloud Revival, you're missing out on some of our very best book lists and free resources. So you want to go to readaloudrevival.com and pop your email in there so that you're not missing a thing. Some of our very best things come in through your inbox. I send a note pretty consistently every Tuesday morning. It's short and sweet, and it'll help you make connections with your kids. So good stuff there. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of the podcast. In the meantime, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books.